Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everyone. How many people here for the first time tonight? Welcome. Welcome back to everyone else. Welcome to everyone tuning in at home on Zoom. You now have um, a view of the room, the other against the stream square there. You see who's in the room. And we have you on a big screen in the room. So we all, we're, we're, we're all looking at you. Um, they're little tiny squares. But uh, just got this set up so that it can feel like because half of the people um, are at home on Zoom and half of the people are here. It's hybrid to give us a sense of the community, both the in-person and the online community connecting together. This is our first Monday with the new setup. Um, so welcome to uh, the Monday Night Against the Stream class and um, you're joining us, some of you are regulars, been coming all the time, some of you are new. You're joining us in the, uh, I think on a good night, I think it's a really good night for your first class because the topic is uh, mindfulness. And uh, we're, we're talking, we've been talking since the beginning of the year about the life story of the Buddha, about Siddhartha Gautama and how he came to enlightenment. And, and then once he came to enlightenment, what he started teaching which is the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. So tonight we're on the seventh factor of the Eightfold Path, almost done with the teachings. Um, this, this series on the Four Truths, Eightfold Path. Um, and the seventh factor is mindfulness, is, is how to train our minds, how to become aware, how to become awake, to develop wisdom. And... Um, I think I'll take at least four weeks to do this topic, the next four, maybe, maybe four weeks. There's four foundations of mindfulness. So I'll go through them one at a time. Actually, next week, I'm not going to be here. Uh, I'm teaching a retreat in New Mexico. So you'll have a substitute. You'll have Jason Murphy will substitute for me next Monday. But um, when I get back, I'll do the first foundation tonight, second foundation when I get back from retreat. And, um, so it's one of my habits, we'll meditate in a minute, but it's one of my habits, my, my, a big part of my uh, intention, aspiration behind teaching the Dharma and having a meditation center and also you know, making it available to people online is to not only um, kind of educate people about Buddhism, but to help facilitate the development of community. One of the core refuges, one of the core teachings of the Buddha is that we need each other. We need community. We need like-minded friendships, wise friendships um, to support us in doing this um, process of awakening, this process of healing. So many of our uh, community are recovering from addiction and so we know the importance of what we call fellowship in buddhism we call it sangha and the buddha was really um 
insistent that this was not something to really be done alone, but was something to be done uh, in the company of other people who are also doing it, trying to do it. So in service of that, I like to start class by asking you to talk about something with some people you don't know, that way you'll start to get to know each other. Since tonight's topic is the first foundation of mindfulness, which is the body. The first thing that the Buddha encourages us to learn to be mindful of, to pay attention to, is our physical being, this physical body that you live in, that you are in, that you are carrying around, that your consciousness knows. So you can start now, mindfulness of your body, if you're not already. I'll give some instructions, meditation instructions, but just as an intro, bring your full attention into your body. What do you feel in your hands? What do you feel in your feet? What do you feel in your belly? What's your relationship to your body like? Do you have a adversarial relationship with your body? Do you judge it? Do you resent it? Not even not even getting too deep, but just bringing awareness to like, oh yeah, I kind of, I think my body should be a different shape or a different age or a different, you know, this body that um, just keeps aging without your permission. Um, subject to gravity, subject to sickness and aging and death, this physical form. And then, you know, our culture and maybe most cultures, but certainly this culture that we're in does such a number on, on us about how our body should be. Advertising, you know, kind of body image and you should be young and sexy. <laughs> you should be young or thin or whatever it is, the kind of, you know, um, advertising that we've gotten in this kind of day and age. And um, you should be fit or you should be, muscly or whatever conditioning um, you've gotten from your culture. And so bring, bringing awareness to that as we bring awareness to the body and we're asked to be mindful of the body. It's also how does our, uh, what's our attitude towards our own bodies? Some people, uh, especially if we've been, experienced a lot of abuse or, uh, or maybe neglect, you know, the body feels like it's not very safe. You know, being asked to tune in and be mindful of your body is like, wait, this is like where the pain is. This is where uh, you know, it's been objectified or it's been uh, injured in, in different ways. And so just bringing awareness to that it's not so simple of just like, well, it's my body. It's all of these attitudes we have about our bodies and how personal we take it and how we're so um, identified with like, this is me. This is who I am. A big part of what we're doing in Buddhism is uh, unpacking that and, and um, finding a balance of uh, non-identification of the impersonal nature of the human body and that it's not ourself. It's not, it's not who we are from a Buddhist perspective. And we learn that by being mindful of it. It's actually said um, in the Buddhist teachings that everything you need to learn full enlightenment, total liberation, all of the insights that you're seeking can be found right here in your physical body. All of it. If you're looking for happiness, if you're looking for freedom, 
your body is the teacher, that uh, the liberating insights will be developed just by paying attention to your own body. And this is so different than where we're usually trying to think our way. We're trying to develop knowledge and wisdom in our minds. And Buddhism has a, a lot of that too, a lot of wisdom, mind training. But when the Buddha started, he said, start by the first foundation, learn to pay attention to your body and that the liberating insights will be revealed right here in your own body. I'll get into that more. For introductions and, and um, I don't know how to do this. Maybe what is your, um, what's your favorite part of your body? <clears throat> and what is the part of your body that um, you find it hardest to feel? Like even right now, when I say feel your body, where does your attention go? If you're a meditator, does it go directly to your breath? Feel the sensations of the breath. Like if you've meditated for a while, do you feel your ass on the cushion or the chair? Is that what, you know, gravity? Your hands resting? What do you feel? What's easiest to feel? What's hardest to feel? Like, can you feel your armpits? Can you feel your, is there any sensation behind your knees? How about the top of your thighs or the, your sides, your lower back, all of these different parts of the body that often, unless they're hurting, we're not really paying attention to, or there's some sort of pleasure we're not really paying attention to. So connect with somebody in the room and um, talk about your relationship to your body, what feels easiest to feel, what feels like you know, you're usually completely unaware of your hands or your calves or behind your knees. Talk a little bit about your track, your, your awareness, body awareness. And, you know, and if you want to talk a little bit about your relationship to your body, you can. I mean, we're not going to take a long time here, like two or three minutes, but um, I think so many people in our world, in our community, feel a lot of aversion towards their own body. And part of what we're needing to do is to become intimate and with ourself, with our, with our physical form. Um, and it's, it's part of the challenge. You know, most of the time we're just distracting ourselves. So I'm gonna open the breakout rooms, talk about your body. First foundation of mindfulness is the body. And we'll meditate on the body. We'll talk about the first, the second, as a preview, the second foundation, as we pay attention to our bodies, we experience pleasant sensations and unpleasant sensations and neutral sensations. Our per we perceive pleasure and pain and neutrality. A big part of what we're doing in meditation is learning to be mindful, be present with what's happening moment to moment, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And so the encouragement is take a posture, take an upright sitting posture and try not to move. Even if you begin to experience unpleasant sensations, sit still, be with that unpleasantness, the air conditioning. Some of you maybe perceive it as pleasant. You're a little warm and you're like, oh, this feels good. It's cool. 
Some of you will perceive it as unpleasant. You'll get cold and let that be part of your meditation. I was like, okay, I'm going to be tolerant and friendly towards the experience, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, at least the intention to be with it. So find a way to be upright, relaxed, find a posture that feels sustainable, at least to begin with. Take a moment to release any unnecessary tension in your body. Soften your brow, your eyes. So the eyes are gently closed. Bring awareness to your mouth and your jaw. Is it clenched? Is the tongue pressing or resting? Can you relax your jaw, release it? Mindfulness of the neck and shoulders. Are your shoulders up by your ears, tense. Can you let gravity pull your shoulders down, back a little bit, straighten your posture a little bit. As you breathe in, feel the sensations that the breath creates in the body. Where do you feel the breath? belly, rises and falls, chest, expands and contracts. And the air enters and exits, probably through your nostrils. Let the breath come and go through your nose. And try to just accept the breath, not control it. Just relax, let the body breathe its own rhythm. Your job is to bring awareness to it, but to not control it or manipulate it, or it doesn't need to be deep. Just let the body breathe all by itself. See if you can. When you exhale, if there's any tension in your stomach, see if you can soften your belly. Relax your stomach. Let it be its natural, soft, relaxed, undefended belly, soft belly. Mindfulness is present time awareness. For now, we're choosing to place our full awareness, present time, non-judgmental awareness in the body, with the body. Being aware of the posture, the contact with the chair, the cushion. 
being aware of how your hands are resting, the contact of your hands resting on your legs or in your lap, sensations created by contact. Trying to stay out of the contents of our thinking mind, the mind which almost constantly plans, craves, remembers. We can choose to direct our attention to the body. Let the thoughts be in the background. We'll get drawn back into thinking over and over. It's a natural process of meditation. But each time you get involved in a hope or a fear or a plan or a memory, just acknowledge it as thinking and then return to the body. Bring your awareness back to the sensations that the breath are creating or the feeling of your posture. Contact with the cushion, the chair. First instruction from the Buddha and the first foundation of mindfulness is the breath. You can use the breath as a primary object of awareness. If you're new to this kind of meditation, the breath is usually a really good place to start. Breathing in, know that you're breathing in. You might even note in as you feel the sensations of inhaling and out as you feel the sensations of exhaling.
Learning to ignore your own mind. You're not stopping it. You are learning to ignore the thoughts as you pay attention to your body. Let the thoughts be passing by like clouds in a sky. Returning over and over to the physical experience of sitting, breathing. Bringing an attitude of friendliness to your body, acceptance as much as you can in this moment. Breath itself reveals the truth of impermanence. It teaches us that everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end, each breath. As we investigate the rest of the body, we become more and more awake to the impermanent nature of all sensation, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. It's arising and passing, it's changing.
rather than focusing solely on the breath, begin to scan your attention through your body from the top of your head, slowly down through your face, scanning for sensation, but also aware of all of the different parts, the hair, the skin, the bones, the internal organs, eyes and tongue. Being aware that the breath is being breathed by the lungs. The heart is beating the Internal organs are all doing their jobs, digesting, processing. Visualize your skeleton sitting here, the bones. covered by flesh and skin and get a sense of the four elements, the earth element in your body, the air with each breath, the heat element with the temperature 98 degrees internally. And become aware that this body is mostly fluid. Investigating the impermanent nature of sensation. Impermanent nature of this body itself. Aging, decaying.
investigating the impersonal nature of your body, how it just breathes all by itself, the heart beats all by itself. The mind thinks, hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, all just happening to you, to awareness. Constantly disengaging from the thinking mind, coming back to the feeling body. Non-judgmental, investigative awareness. What are you feeling? What is your body teaching you right now?
begin checking in with where has tension developed in your body? How's your belly, your jaw, your shoulders? Often we tighten to resist as a form of aversion. Try softening into what's happening right now rather than resisting it. As you open your eyes and move around, stretch, do whatever you're going to do, continue mindfulness. How's it change? How's your body feel as you relieve the pressure of being still? remind you of the context of uh, how mindfulness comes to be in the Buddha's teaching and um, this first time that he's teaching the Four Noble Truths to his, his five friends. Um, there was no such thing as mindfulness. Um, when the Buddha went to seek enlightenment, awakening, uh, he was taught uh, what we would call Hindu or Brahmanic uh, meditation techniques, um, which, you know, things like um, Vedic meditation or TM or, you know, or like rep repeating a mantra or you're uh, concentrating your mind on something. And that's what he was taught. And he, he saw that... Um, you know, when you get really concentrated, you can have some really interesting experiences and, and actually experience a lot of bliss and joy. And um, But that it didn't actually work to, it doesn't actually work to develop the compassion that we need and the non-attachment that we need to actually end suffering. And spend all of those years feeling like, well, because the craving is here in my mind and my body, because the aversion is here in my mind and my body, perhaps the body's the problem. And so if I really um, ignore the body and really deny the body's desire for comfort and pleasure and 
spent all those years in extreme renunciation, extreme uh, what we call asceticism. And realize that didn't work either. The concentration didn't work. The ignoring didn't work. The self-denial didn't work. And just kind of said, well, like, what if I just pay attention to the present time experience? What if I investigate rather than ignore or concentrate away or deny? And just started experimenting with his own awareness and came up with mindfulness. If I just pay attention to the moment to moment arising and passing of sensation and thought and emotion. And if I just pay attention to this body, it teaches me the truth of impermanence. And it shows us how we create suffering based on clinging to impermanent things, craving for impermanent things, or pushing away aversion to impermanent unpleasant experiences. So he comes to his own awakening using mindfulness, discovers mindfulness. And, um, and then he's like, this is so radical what I've, what I've experienced. I'm not sure if anybody will be willing to do it because what I, part of what I'm doing and what I'm asking people to do is uh, learn to be uncomfortable. Learn to be with your pain. Learn to be mindful of the impermanent nature of your pain. Rather, because concentration feels way better than mindfulness. You do your mantra, do your Vedic meditation. Feels way better. You get to ignore everything. And you get a temporary fix of having ignored everything and made that the focus. And it feels more pleasant. Mindfulness is like, no, turn towards your sorrow. <laughs> turn towards your, you know, turn towards your pain. Turn, turn, turn towards your achy knees as you sit here, your sore ass. Be mindful of that. Of the tension in your shoulders or your jaw. but he saw how liberating it was. And so when he goes and he finds his friends and he's explaining to them the Four Noble Truths that there is this suffering that is universal, dukkha, difficulty of, of human existence, it's universal. And in some ways, what the First Noble Truth is saying is that um, everyone has some suffering and it's not your fault, just the way it is. You take birth in this craving, clinging, survival instinct and you're going to suffer everyone does the cause of suffering is a repetitive craving and repetitive craving is simply just our survival instinct millions of years of human biological evolution you're born into a craving body it's not your fault one of the things i love about buddhism is that it normalizes the human condition rather than puts judgment like most other religions put some uh judgment on the human experience, that there's some somehow like sin and all of that bullshit. And Buddhism just says like, no, no, this is just the way it is. It's not your fault. You just crave because you have a survival instinct and you cling because, and everything's impermanent and you're not very good at non-attached appreciation. <laughs> and without mindfulness, it's impossible. And this is where mindfulness is the fucking game changer.
So he, he's explaining all of this to his friends and the scene in the story of the Buddha is that they're sitting in this park outside of uh, Varanasi called Saranath, the deer park. And, and, um, and he says, you know, where we were going wrong was we were only using concentration as our meditation technique. He said, and I, I figured it out, mindfulness is the key. In the sutta, it's translated as something like um, that he says to them. The only way that leads to the attainment of awakening, the overcoming of sorrow, the end of grief is entering upon this path of realization and nirvana enlightenment is by the four foundations of mindfulness. That he says, you know, there's these four levels um, of mindfulness. And the way that's translated, of course, religion likes to say the only way that he says to these guys, like it's the only way to actually get free. I don't know if that's true or not, personally, even though I'm a Buddhist and mindfulness has been incredibly central to my life uh, and transformative in my life. I don't know if I want to say it's the only way but I know for sure from direct experience that it is a way to train the mind that leads to less and less attachment, more and more compassion. And, and, and in the meditation instruction, I, I was pointing to, I hope you got it. And, and part of what the first foundation helps us see is that it's just not that personal. When you really start paying attention to your body, don't you walk around kind of taking your body personal all the time? Thinking like, I am feeling this and my body, I'm, you know, this is who I am. And then you start being mindful and you see like, oh, my body just breathes all by itself. I'm not breathing it, it's breathing me. My heart just beats all by itself. It's not, it's all automatic, autonomic not so personal it's not so like uh it's just the having a body is like this everything that's happening in here the mindfulness really starts to reveal it's all impermanent every breath can you you know when i said earlier that the, the buddha taught um all of the liberating insights there's three liberating insights that mindfulness reveals. And you can get it really just with your breath or your body sensation. So, you know, like, a, so simple in some ways. Everything's impermanent. If you can totally, not only, not intellectually understand that, but know it, if everything's impermanent, the body will teach you that. And then start to live more and more in harmony with the impermanent nature of things your suffering will decrease and decrease and decrease because you'll stop clinging, right? Understanding impermanence means letting go. Letting go of the delusional idea that there's some sort of material source of happiness or sensual source of happiness. Because we start to understand all sense experiences are impermanent, all material things are impermanent. So the body teaching us this first foundation, teaching us everything is impermanent and 
there's not a self. You can investigate this whole mind and oh, there's awareness and there's a body and there's feeling tones. But where are you in that? You know, this exercise of sort of like, uh, you know, we think we're our bodies, but if you, if you lose a limb, are you still you? If you lose two limbs, are you still you? Like, at what point are you no longer you? How much of your body do you have to lose to say like, well, I'm only half of who I used to be. You'll still feel a, a complete sense of self. Somebody at class last week was talking about having had an amputation and um, uh, how that they were suffering a lot from chronic uh, phantom pain. That even though they, I think they lost their leg, they're talking about my leg fucking hurts <laughs> that I don't have. I'm still totally identified and, and have all of this pain from this leg that's not there anymore, the phantom pain from the nerve ending even after amputation. Because everything's impermanent and, and none of it's all that personal, we start to wake up to the third uh, liberating insight, which is that nothing's, you, you can either talk about this as reliable, nothing is reliable, the unreliable nature of all things, we're often clinging, we want security, we want safety, we want reliability, but then we start to wake up because everything, nothing's really reliable. It's wisdom to, to understand that. Or we can also talk about that as the unsatisfactory nature, no matter how pleasant your experience is, it will not truly satisfy you because it's impermanent, it's transient, it won't last. So, you know, impermanence is it almost feels like bad news because we're so attached. Bad news when life is pleasant. Bad news when you're experiencing something that you enjoy. Good fucking news when you're in pain. When you're experiencing something unpleasant, something challenging, this too shall pass. We're so grateful for impermanence in the challenging and the difficult, painful moments. We're so resentful towards impermanence when it feels good and we want to keep it and it's not going to last. So the Buddha is sitting there with his friends and he says, you know, this is the key, present time awareness, mindfulness. We start with the body. We turn our attention towards the body, learn. Uh, and he doesn't say this, but I feel like one of the core functions of starting with the breath and the body awareness is breaking our addiction to our mind. Do you feel like you're addicted to your mind? I feel like I'm kind of strung out on thinking. <laughs> you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they have that questionnaire. If, you, if you're not sure if you're an alcoholic or not, there's like 20 questions about like your relationship to drinking. See if you have a drinking problem. Take that questionnaire and apply it to your mind. It's questions like, do you think alone? <laughs> do you find that sometimes you think first thing in the morning? 
is thinking interfering with your relationships <laughs> is thinking you know like really looking at how much our mind is creating our suffering because we believe it because we obey it because we're addicted and identified with it so part of the function of the first foundation of mindfulness and i said it a bunch of times in the instruction learn to ignore your mind break your addiction to thinking each time you disengage from the mind and come back to the body come back to the breath come back to the posture those are just thoughts plans memories hope fear fantasy worry lust whatever it is it's just a thought and you don't have to believe it and learning to be mindful of the body in the body the body is a refuge from the suffering that our minds are creating now sometimes your body is also suffering and pain when i started meditating i was in a lot of suffering my mind was i was um, locked up and i was detoxing in jail and um it was really fucking unpleasant <laughs> but i started meditating i started bringing my i got the mindfulness of the breath instruction and i right away got the experience that paying attention to my body that's in pain is way better than what my mind is doing. It's not like I was comfortable. I was in a fucking jail cell. I was detoxing. I was not stoked. But it was better. Feeling the breath was so much better than the hell realm that my mind was in about being locked up, about the future, about the past. Right here, this breath was a relief, was a refuge. The body, even the detoxing body in my experience at that time um, was much better than what my mind was creating and i got it and i got okay this is why this part of mindfulness is helping me ignore my mind and i couldn't do it very well as none of us can when you start meditating not very good at it feel a breath or two back to planning Back to, back to remembering, back to fantasizing, back to judging, hating, whatever your mind is doing. And then you say, oh, thinking again, back to the body. Disengage, return, disengage, return, disengage, return. And as we keep returning and keep coming back to the body breathing, or whatever part of the body you're paying attention to, we start to change our relationship to the mind. Start to see it's an it's optional. Your mind's going to continue to think, but the more foundation of the first, you know, foundational body awareness you get, the more you get into the habit of being present with what you're feeling rather than what you're thinking about. Such a relief. It's like one of the first major. Uh, reliefs of mindfulness later we get in third foundation is learning to observe the mind not just ignore it but in the beginning just ignore it <laughs> so good you don't want to get stuck in just ignoring the mind it's, it has its limitations but it is a huge part of the first foundation
So in the first foundation, the Buddha says, sit, bring mindfulness to your breath, your body. And then as I did in the instructions, he starts to expand. He says, now bring mindfulness to the four elements of your body. Can you feel that in meditation? Do you have a sense of earth element? How much of your body is earth? I don't know, what is it? Calcium or like the bones are. How much of your body is water? Can you get a sense that like, I don't know, I think it's 76 or 70. It's like almost three quarters of our body is fluid. Not that much earth in here, just a little bit. Mostly water, this body that we're, even the, you know, the flesh, the muscle, all of that, it's just water. Temperature right now, you're cold. You can feel it. Fire, heat element. It always trips me out a little bit to wake up to, it's 98 degrees in here. Like when it's 98 degrees, I'm too hot. When the world, when the room is 98 degrees, but it's always that hot inside you. Then it doesn't seem right to me. Feels like I I feel like I should be too hot if I'm 98 degrees, but it's always about 98 point whatever is the normal body temperature. You're on fire from the inside, and you can bring mindfulness to that. And we feel it, you know, with the skin, with the coldness, or the warmth, or the perspiration if it gets too warm. The Buddha says, bring mindfulness to the air element, and that this body. Is, is porous. Not only like we feel the air with the breath, but actually our skin breathes. Like our whole, the whole skin is porous, is breathing. If your skin stops breathing, you have major problems. It's like, you know, <laughs> major diseases if you can't, if your skin can't breathe. But we're not aware of that. But in mindfulness, <clears throat> you can become more and more aware of the air elements and you take that breath and it oxygenates the blood and the blood goes everywhere veins and arteries and so he goes on he says uh and then be mindful that this body he, he makes a list of 32 parts just be mindful not only that you're sitting here present and breathing, but scan your attention, investigate hair, skin, nails, bones. Uh, it starts to name the organs, heart, lung, intestines, bladder, stomach. You know, a kind of, uh, you know, uh, anatomy lesson. And to really think about your, he uses the analogy, he says, just as like a skilled butcher would like, you know, cut up a cow or something and know like, well, these are the, you know, that's the rump roast and that's the ribs and that's the, he said, think of yourself in that way. Use your awareness to bring that kind of uh, anatomical awareness rather than just this, I am this body. The whole three, it's all of these different parts many factors that make up this body, bring awareness to, to that. 
one of the insights that are, you know, that I keep talking about around impermanence, he then says, take that insight, that understanding of impermanence, and you feel it with your breath, and you feel it with all of the sensations. He says, now reflect on this body itself as impermanent. And um, this whole series of reflections on, on the body as a corpse, that this body is subject to sickness, aging, and death, and that this body that we're being mindful of that's so very much alive right now will die. And then it will start to decay. And remind yourself in your mindfulness, in your meditation, that I'm not exempt from death. This body is aging. And you know, maybe I'll live to be old and then die. Maybe I'll die sooner. And just bring that awareness of impermanence on the physical level. Now it can start to, you know, and it actually gets kind of gross. I like gross things, I'll share it with you. He says, uh, this body of mine has the nature, the destiny cannot escape it. Um, as if you were looking at a corpse thrown on a charnel ground, one, two, or three days dead, swollen up, blue, black in color. He says, and then further, uh, as though you were looking at a corpse on a charnel, charnel ground is like the funeral, you know, it's the, the, the um, cemetery, um, as though it had been eaten by crows, eaten by hawks or vultures, by dogs or jackals, or devoured by all kinds of worms. You should regard your own body. Think of your body. Break your, you know, all of this is in the service of break your attachment and your identification with this body as self. Know that it's impermanent. Know that it's subject to decay. That if you leave it out, you know, in our culture, of course, we'd like to pump the bodies full of all these things to slow the, the process, formaldehyde, and want to preserve the body. He says, uh, he goes on to say, and, um, that there's just a skeleton, a framework of bones stripped of flesh. There's a thigh bone, a pelvis, a spine, a skull. This body of mine has this nature, has this destiny, cannot escape it. it look, uh, he says, in your mindfulness, you know, at some sometimes imagine that there's there's just a bleached out skeleton there. No, none of the, um, no water element left. No heat element left. And say it to yourself, I'm not exempt from the impermanent. Now, it's a little bit, could be a little bit morose or a little bit depressing. My senses and my experience with this kind of meditation is that what it actually does is give you appreciation for the preciousness of life. And, and, and a, like um, a bit of a urgency to be mindful. Like each breath, how, how often do you just take the breath for granted? You just feel like, oh, I'm going to breathe all day. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to keep breathing. But when you're really awake to the impermanent nature and to death, you might bring more and more awareness to this breath, that it's not uh, guaranteed. Um, of a friend, you know, people are just dying constantly. Of, of, of an acquaintance, of, you know, friend of, of 
friends my age, meditator guy, healthy guy, sober guy, hiking a couple weeks ago and just dropped out of a heart attack. And it's one of those wake up calls for me. I was like, yep, yeah, just nothing wrong. Just seemed fine. Spiritual, healthy, physically fit. And the heart just stopped. Another, um, I, I meant to talk about this last week, another long-term uh, member of our community, Molly Favor, who used to teach stuff at Against the Stream, did the teacher trainings and um, been involved since I started. I started this Monday night group in Santa Monica 17 years ago, and she was there from the beginning. And she's, um, I don't think she was quite 80, quite 80, late 70s, I believe. Um, cancer for the last couple of years, lots of cancer treatments and died a couple weeks ago. And I was talking to her throughout the process about how she was using her mindfulness, how she was using, uh, and I, when her husband called me after she died, um, you know, just so grateful that she had mindfulness to be able to deal with all of the pain of the dozens and dozens of chemo treatments she went through and and that she was able to leave her body somewhat peacefully, having done decades of reflection on impermanence and death and that it was um, expected rather than somehow a curse. It's just it's what happens here. We live as long as we live. The more mindfulness we can bring to it, the less suffering we will experience about it. So first foundation of mindfulness is your body. The breath is a part of it. The four elements are a part of it. The anatomy, the 32 parts is a part of it. And the corpse reflections is a part of it. It's all first foundation of mindfulness. And so this is what the Buddha explains to his friends before then going on to talk about the second, third and fourth, which I'll um, continue with next time I'm back week after next. So I'll leave it there for tonight and open to questions. Any questions about the first foundation of mindfulness? Anything else, but let's try to keep it around mindfulness of the body, how to do it, how it works. If you have a question at home, you can raise your hand in the reactions button at the bottom of your screen. And if you're here, yeah, please. Could you just label it? First, in the most simplest label is it's the body. First foundation is your physical body, bringing mindfulness to your body. Now we usually we focus on the breath. You know, when I start with mindfulness of the breath, that's what we're doing. First foundation, breath, posture. I'm almost always saying, you know, what's the posture? Um, the um, there's four. Uh, for the first foundation, there's four formal meditation postures of your body, sitting like we do here, sitting meditation, standing as a mindfulness of standing, walking, mind, walking meditation, mindfulness of walking, and um, laying down, reclining, and being mindful in sitting, walking, standing, and laying down, and what your body feels like as it's experiencing those four postures. 
Did you get that or did you want the rest of the list? Body, uh, four elements, 32 parts, corpse. Declan, go ahead. You can unmute. I, um, I'd say I'm at one of my peak mindfulness times after our meditation and when you're lecturing. I can sit here and breathe and, and listen and focus. But how do I keep improving under stress? Or what's been like your arch of improvement in stressful times to keep staying mindful? It's almost like it all goes out the window sometimes. My first thought is, could you hear a question in the back? Um, my, my first thought is, uh, of course, it's way easier when you're with the Sangha and you're hearing the instructions and a Dharma talk. And, um, and the more you do this, I don't know how long you've been sitting now, Declan, but over the years of meditation, the more you'll start to integrate it and become more uh, a easily able to apply it in moments of stress. Um, it'll become more and more natural <laughs> mindfulness. And uh, we uh, not, I don't know if it ever becomes totally effortless, but it becomes more of your habit. In the beginning, mindfulness is foreign, like we're hardly ever present. And then we start training our mind to be present. And then you become more present more of the time and more of the time. And even in stressful times and in the midst of conflict, you'll find yourself softening your belly and relaxing your jaw and doing the physical uh, you know, awareness techniques that you do in, on the cushion, you'd be like, oh, I can do this walking down the street. I can do this at work and I can do this in the midst of an argument and feel my feet on the ground and get out of my head and feel some breaths in the body. And so that will just start to happen over the trajectory of your, of your practice. Um, part of wanting to be free from suffering and have like you have the information right we all get the information really early on you read that one book whatever your first buddhist book was it told you everything you needed to know right and then you have to spend the rest of our lives trying to do it <laughs> you hear a couple of dharma talks and it's like yeah non-attachment compassion you know everything's impermanent like we all know that shit but actually living in harmony with it four foundations of mindfulness like you know what to do Ajahn, uh, Ajahn Chao one of the teachers my teacher's teacher that I uh, like a lot he said you know so often we're in this dilemma as as meditators where you know what to do but you can't do it yet you have the knowledge that non-attachment is the let go you know but you can't fucking let go right now you're just so attached and just telling yourself to let go you know you tell your mind let go and your mind says go fuck yourself i'm gonna suffer at this person right now a lot and you say let go no forgiveness <laughs> you, know? you know what to do but you can't do it yet but the longer we practice over the years you get more and more skilled at embodying it please yeah, that was a good by the way i do the badass 
Like the new art? Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that, that kind of came to my mind, I mean, I work in healthcare, so I was just kind of thinking, like, it's curious to know, like, who could ever make the connection where, I know, like, one of the goals, I mean, probably the main goal is to relieve suffering, like, emotional. Um, <coughs> it, it, did you ever make the connection of, like, scanning the body? I, like, hear a lot, like, nowadays, like, loosening the stomach, loosening the organs, like, to, with the goal to, like, reduce diseases of, like, Know, with all this tension in your stomach, that leads to like colon cancer or whatever. Yeah. Did you ever make that connection of like? Uh, not that. Like, not that I know of. No, I'm. I'm not a. My sense is that mind, the byproduct of mindfulness and softening and embodied kind of, is uh, a lot of health benefits. It just wasn't his goal. His goal was how can we end suffering, not how can we heal ailments, and. Um, and what we do know is that there's a lot of physical benefits to these practices that will end suffering, but I'm not aware of places where the, um, it's used directly as a healing modality, although it's very healing when we use it. percent we'll take these last two questions tom and then Kay. go ahead tom you need to unmute yourself hey noah um great meditation tonight um i think i find myself it's funny that you touch base on um someone who mentioned during the day their mindfulness you know i find myself counting my breath and like counting my steps and stuff like that at work um, you know, and then it's like, am I, is it okay to be counting that way? Or should I be, you know, I'm thinking about mindfulness. Does that, if that makes sense sometimes, but I'm like, at least I'm present. One of the, um, words that's used in the suttas, I don't know what it is, but it's, um, contemplation. This is an important question. I'm glad you're asking it, Tom. Sometimes we think that mindfulness, because we're and I was, I'm guilty of it in some ways, like the way that I was talking about breaking our addiction to our minds, that it sets up this dynamic where we think I'm not allowed to think. But part of the prohibition on, on thinking is about the future and the past. If you're thinking about the present, if you're using, it's the term that we use, thinking, contemplating, reflecting, investigating, you do all of that with your mind. They're all thoughts investigative, contemplative. You're using your mind in the present to think about what is happening in my body. What am I taking out? Or is my right foot going down or my left foot, you know, walking meditation. So absolutely do that in your daily life and do that on your meditation cushion. Contemplate, use your mind to reflect, to analyze, to investigate what's happening moment to moment here now. The only prohibition is on indulging in planning and remembering. Let that shit go. Use your mind right. to get down with what's happening right now. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And also, um, the body meditation is in the refuge audible. 
book are really good. So if people might want to check that out. I enjoy those. Those ones with the, the narrator too. It's pretty great how he goes down the whole body in real depth to the uh, head to toe. So very cool. Um, yeah, gui- guided med- get it, guided meditations for most of us uh, is the way that we internalize it. You need someone else to give you the instructions, and then at some point you don't need the instructions anymore. Uh, they're just used as reminders or background noise. But um, for my first couple of years of meditation, I just listened to guided meditations. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, Noah. Good to see you. Thank you. Okay, last one. Thanks, Noah, for the um, for the guided meditation tonight. Um, so I've I've been noting recently. I've been aware and observing the hostile takeover my body that my mind does. So my thoughts will happen and, and then it will elicit a physical reaction in my body. And I guess, um, you know, and then, and then there's this whole other layer of suffering that I have to get over of like, fuck you body. What are you doing? Or fuck you mind. What are you doing? Give me back my body. Um, but there, um, I'm, I wanted to know is in your experience, does that hostile takeover ever stop or um, are you just more aware of it? Couple of things. One is it also works the other way that when your mind, let's use the belly for an example, or your jaw, when, you know, something arises and then you get tight. Also softening, the more you have that practice of relaxing, it actually relaxes the mind. And the more you keep your jaw tight or your belly tight or you're you know, physically sort of defended in that defended posture, the more you relax and open, it actually does something in reverse to relaxing the mind's attitude. Your posture, your, bo- you know, your body language, the more you kind of have an open, relaxed posture, the more it does something to relax your mind. So just check that out too. It works both ways. Yep, the mind can be like, fuck you, <laughs> you know, and it tightens up. And the more we make it our practice to soften, the more we make it our practice to somatically relax into what's happening rather than defending against it. The more it becomes our habit and becomes a quicker response. Everybody's relationship to pain is to tense around it. That's our natural, instinctual, when it hurts, tense, and maybe anger or fear around the pain. But the more you start bringing awareness to it and having the intention to meet it with softness and compassion, then rather than it being uh, it'll become your habit, like I was saying before about the, all of this, becomes your habit. So that when you stub your toe, rather than spending a long time angry at your toe, you soften to it. And you say, ouch, and let me, stop, let me soften to this. Or when your mind creates tension in your body, you soften to it. And you become more and more, I don't know, I, I heard the part of your question that says, does it, ever stop happening 
with all of this stuff, my experience so far is that the causes of suffering decrease, but don't completely go away. And this is like Mara on some level, the Buddha's relationship with Mara. Mara is that afflictive emotional uh, experience of, uh, of us humans. And uh, Mara never goes away. The afflictive emotions never completely go away. The, you know, but it decreases, drastically decreases. And our skillful response drastically increases to the point where it's not a problem anymore. They're just thoughts and feelings. It's just pain. They learn to meet it with compassion, with acceptance, with softness. It doesn't seem like it's possible to perfect the human nervous system. <laughs> um, that you just have a nervous system that hates pain. It's always going to hate pain. But your relationship, your awareness of that, is gonna really sort of rewire in some ways and, and learn to respond in drastically different ways than, than how reactive we are without meditation. So we'll leave it there tonight. Good to see everybody. I see the note about um, getting a mic in the crowd. People are saying, okay, now we've got the video. Now they need a mic so they can hear your questions. And so I'll try to get a wireless mic. Never satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> Craving mind. I'm, I'm with you, though. I also want that. A couple of announcements as we end. Classes done by donation. Um, if you like what we're doing here at Against the Stream and you're financially able to, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Um, some people say, hey, I want to support Against the Stream. Um, whether I'm coming or not coming, just to, to make sure that this happens. Obviously, I don't charge for class. I've been for a long time teaching these classes by donation, but we do have a lot of overhead. There's $3,500 a month rent that we need to pay on the space. And so your generosity is necessary. So please give what you can. Suggested donation for, fit for um, Monday nights is a $15 to $20 donation. If you can give that, please do. If you can't give that, know that you're welcome to be here. If you can become a monthly supporter of saying, I want to give 25 or 50 or whatever dollars every month to Against the Stream, please consider doing that. Um, if you can't, know that you're welcome to be here regardless. The Memorial Day retreat, uh, May, I think it's 27th through 30th, something like that, is open for registration. There's still some space. Three-day silent meditation retreat. Please join us if you'd like to. There are some scholarship funds available still for that, I believe. I won't be here next week. You'll have a sub teacher come anyways. You don't come for the teacher. You come for the Sangha, come and support each other. Um, Jason's teaching. He also teaches Wednesday nights here. Come check out Jason. Um, he'll also do the Zoom. So you guys at home will tune into Jason next week. I think that's all of my announcements. May any goodness that comes from our practice of mindfulness be gathered and offered outward in all directions. May each one of us get as free as possible in this lifetime. And together, let's create a positive change on this planet. Thank you.
Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.